Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. If you've got a Bible, one of these things, even if you have it on your phone, I highly encourage you. The words will be up on the screen, but today is one of the kinds of days it would be helpful for you to be able to see everything because the verses on the screen will just be coming one at a time, and I want you to have the whole thing, all right, if I can compel you. So I want you to find Matthew chapter 10 is where we're at this morning. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew is one of the first books of the New Testament. It actually is the first book of the New Testament. There's like these uh, different kinds of authors that we get in the New Testament. They have the wisdom and the experience of the Old Testament, what we would call the Hebrew scriptures, and these New Testament writers. You get Matthew, you get Mark, you get Luke, and John. They are called the gospel writers. These are the guys who do the historical narrative approach to Jesus's life, and they want to, they are compelled to get it out. They want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And I remember hearing as a kid in youth group the idea that, ah, why are there four of them? Well, they were all standing on the four corners of a street and they saw something happen. And this is their way of seeing from their perspective. And that's helpful and it's a little bit cute and it was kind of like a a nice little thought. But actually, each individual writer of those first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have an agenda. Every single one of them has an agenda. I don't know if you've ever figured this out. When you either come across a piece of writing, a piece of music, a film that you go to, a piece of marketing, there's an agenda evolved, right? There's something there that 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 person who created that content wants you to get at. And so for Matthew, he has an agenda. He's wanting to make sure that you have an accurate portrayal of the life of Jesus, but especially for those who have Jewish ancestry. Right? Because he's trying to convince, like, hey, we've heard the Jewish story for so long, but the Messiah that you've been waiting for is actually here. So he opens up and begins the New Testament. He gets first dibs, first book of the New Testament, and we're in chapter 10. But just a quick glance at the previous pages. Have you ever read one, a book that you really love? It's a page turner, they say. You just can't wait to keep going further and further in. If you go back to the beginning where Matthew begins in chapter 1, it's a genealogy of Jesus. He's laying the case. Why is it that we should follow Jesus, give him anything? We get chapter 2. We get more of the story of the birth of Jesus, the escape to Egypt that he does with his parents. You get the story of John the Baptist preparing his way in chapter 3. Chapter 4, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. If you remember that story, he goes out to the wilderness. Satan tests him with opportunities. Hey, trust me. And Jesus is like, nope. uh, Chapter 5 is where it gets crazy good because this is where Jesus begins to talk a little bit more, espouse his wisdom. These are the moments where people are amazed at what he says from time to time. And so chapter 5 begins the Sermon on the Mount, they say. And why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? It's not just some catchy title. Literally, he was on a mountainside, or in our terms, maybe up on the hillside. Like, don't think of him like on K2 or like, you know, some really high mountain. Just think of him up on a hillside, away from where the life was happening in the cities or perhaps at the seashore, the Sea of Galilee. He's up on the side of the mountain teaching. And chapters 5 and 6 and 7 get us through the, the Sermon on the Mount. You get to chapter 8 and beyond. We get to hear a little bit more of what, uh, what Jesus is 
getting into. He is teaching. He's in the teaching moment. In chapter 10, there is a point of demarcation. This is it. Because for his disciples, he is sending them now. He has named them, and now he wants to send them out. It's almost as if, and I remember, you remember going to like sporting events? Remember that when that was a thing? Remember when we went to those things? Uh, sports is something that I have missed the most over the past few months, and I love that ESPN is still trying to like keep it real by showing us old school film. Like I went to a restaurant a couple weeks ago, and they were showing classic seventh innings from the seventh game of the World Series. Like I loved it. Like it was like I was captivated. I could hardly eat because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that moment in 1985, wherever it was. But sports, I love sports so much because I love even watching how my, my son has really caught the bug for sports, especially baseball. And baseball has been washed away this spring, and it is sad. Like, there should be boys playing baseball this season. There should be boys out at Angel Stadium playing baseball in the Angels red, right? Or Dodger blue, whoever you are. I mean, it's not like a red state or blue state thing. It doesn't really matter, all right? It's just colors, But my son started his baseball season before coronavirus really took over life. And I can remember the practices. And in order to get him on a team that I really wanted the coach, the coach is like, hey, I can only secure Micah's spot if you want to be an assistant coach. And I was like, I've never coached baseball. You're kidding me, right? I barely made it out of t-ball. And and so I said, okay, I'll help. And I'm like, literally, all, all I'm good for is I'll set up the nets. I'll, like, lay bases out. I'll clean things up. I'll make sure all the guys have enough baseballs or whatever they need. And so we're going through the motions. But I remember those early days of February where we're, like, training. And then you get ready for opening day. And Micah, Micah's season for 2020 is three games. Like, that's all he got. But I remember before his first game. It's because you have weeks of practice, and the coach comes to you and is like, okay, we're about to go out there. We're about to go play this game now. It's no longer just practices. This is the moment that Jesus is having with his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He's like, it's no longer just practice. It's no longer just me on the mountainside telling you what this kingdom of God is going to be like. It's actually now I'm going to send you out. And it's the sending out that is so important because it also invites us as readers in 2020 to consider is Jesus also in the business of sending us out? And so when we come across Matthew's words in this chapter, we have to come to grips as what was he saying back then and also what is he saying to us today? So if you got Matthew chapter 10, I want you to turn right to verse 24. That's where we'll pick things up. That's right, we're like dropped in, we're parachuted in on some of Jesus' discourse on that day and what some scholars would say, this is the missionary chapter. This is where he's sending them out. So verse 24 starts like this. Students are not above their teacher, nor servants above their master. It is enough for students to be like their teacher and servants like their master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Okay, just stop right there. We're going to continue reading, but let's take this in chunks. Paragraph number one is chunk number one. Students are not above their teacher. What is Jesus trying to convey here? And servants are not above their master. We watched um, Batman Begins last night as a family. And uh, against my wishes. And I thought it was Father's Day. Like, I suggested something else. And there was revolt by these kids that are in my household. And I said, it's Father's Day. And they said, that's tomorrow. And I said, 
okay, touche. So we got Batman Begins going on, and uh, my son made this, this uh, comment. Do you know um, the butler or the servant in uh, Master Wayne's household and always calls him Master Wayne even as a kid, this idea that you would have a kid that's so young, but yet as an adult you would call him master. So this idea that Jesus is jumping into here, students are not above their teacher and servants are not above their master. What's he getting at? He's ultimately saying, when you go out there, expect the same kind of treatment that I have received. You don't get off the hook just because you're my students. And Jesus is saying those words even to us in 2020. Right? This is not just 2,000 years ago, but he's welcoming us into his kingdom saying, when you go out into your world, which means wherever it is that you live, you work, you play, you go to school, wherever that is, if there's a chance that you get treated just like Jesus got treated, expect that reality. And there's going to be people who will perhaps call you names or shame you. And especially this makes sense for those of you in the midst of junior high and high school and beyond. Because there's going to be kids who will laugh at the fact that you follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, they laughed at me too. They called me names. It was exactly my lot in life. And it's going to be yours as well. So he's almost preparing them for where they head. All right, back to the verses. Verse 26. So do not be afraid of them, those people. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark... Speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? This is a common image in Jesus' day. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So if we take this in chunks, if we try to figure out what is it that Jesus is saying, because sometimes you're in the presence of people who are really smart and they say really good things, and then you're like, I need to go rewind that. What did you just say? So if we get the concept that, hey, students are not above their teachers, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going to happen to you and to me is exactly what happens to Jesus. If we stake claim to God's kingdom in this world, there will be people who disagree with us because God's kingdom has different sets of values than ours. And that's important for us to realize. But in this section, this one where he's talking about sparrows and he's talking about how God knows what happens in secret. I met with a group of pastors on Tuesday, virtually, in case you were worried. We're on a Zoom call, right? It's like, what you're supposed to do these days. And we're on a Zoom call, and we're talking about the passage here, but also other passages that are available to us this week in what we call the lectionary, which Refuge for the past couple years has been following. And Matthew was one of the stories. There's also a story in Genesis. There's a psalm. And I forget the other passage in this moment. But we're talking about it, and one of the guys in our group was like, I don't really, know, I don't really like this passage in Matthew because of what it, how it was used when I was a kid. And I was like, tell me about this. Like, how were you abused with Matthew chapter 10? And he goes like, just look, Brenton, 26, verse 26. Do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. My youth pastor, this is what this guy was saying. He said, my youth pastor used to shame me with that, almost like, you know, oh, he's watching you. Almost that moment we get at like in certain times of the year where we're wondering, are we going to get 
gifts around the 25th of December, like, oh, he's watching you. You better be naughty or nice. Which one are you, right? And we get this concept, and there's, there's this tendency in Christianity to say, oh, God is watching every single move that you make, and if you mess up, he is going to fry you. And that's not the case. And I said, that's so interesting that you read it that way, or that was how it was portrayed to you. Because the way that I read this, and maybe it's the vantage point that I have this past week, is because I see this as God's commitment that he will even make known the things that have happened to you in dark places. When there has been darkness that has been cast upon you or shamed upon you, God is there with you. There are these moments where we wonder, oh, where was God when I was suffering? Where was God when this went, hap- when this went down in my life? Where, where was God when, and you fill the blank in, and God's like, even in the darkest, most shameful, the most hurtful moments of your life, I will th- I, I'm there because I, I know what's happening. If I care about the sparrows, heck yeah, I care about you. And so I said, I just read, the, I read that, that paragraph differently than you. And he's like, oh, that's much more helpful. Because that's, that's the heart of a father. Like if you consider God as father, right? Rarely will you put together photo albums of your life and include all the bad times, right? Most people that I know, they're photo albums, regardless if they're virtual. Or there's these things called photos, kids. They're four by sixes and you get them printed. If you have these like photo albums, rarely are they all about the bad times. It's good times, Right? And we consider, how is it that God looks at me? He's not pulling up the list and be like, you remember when you wet the bed, Brenton? Like, he's not doing that. God's in the business of seeing even the evil that is done to us and calling light to it. The negative moments. And this is where he's kind of centering himself in this passage to these disciples who are about to go out into the world. So he's prepping them. Hey, when bad things happen, and even if no one knows about it, I do. I will know. I will know, and I will be the one who knows your story. All right, let's keep the story going. Verse 32, this is where it gets warm and fuzzy. Whoever publicly publicly acknowledges me, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever publicly disowns me, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Almost drawn a line in the sand. When you go out there in my name, own it. Don't shy away. Don't hide away from what the kingdom is doing. Don't be the kind of person who says, I don't know if I can share God in this moment. It's like, share me. Bring me to every place that you go. Because guess what? He's already there. And you and I, we just get to point him out. All right, verse 34, keep moving. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be the members of your own household. Is this sunk in yet? Awkward on Father's Day. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. 
you read these words like I have in the past, and you wonder, is Jesus off his rocker? Like, did he have a bad day? Have you come across the person who's a little hangry and they're not thinking straight? And you're like, Jesus, is this you? Like, are you mad about something? Did, like, did Thomas do something? Like, what happened? Where are you in this moment? Because it seems like a great departure from everything that Jesus has been saying. But I will admit that I had fun with this verse back in the day. As a youth pastor, when I got to hang out with junior high and high school students, I remember preaching them about this passage very specifically. Because I was trying to convey to students, hey, draw the line in the sand. Do you believe your parents or do you believe Jesus, right? Sounds like a good hallmark moment for any youth group out there. And then the next day, I got an email from a parent. Hey, Brenton, just help me understand this. My daughter came home from youth group yesterday, and she said she's supposed to hate me. Like, okay, I've got to do some cleanup. What is Jesus getting at when he says, I have come not with peace, but with the sword. What is he trying to say when he says, I have come to separate even those relationships that you have, like son and father, mother and daughter, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, and so forth. And the tendency for us to think is, well, maybe if I choose Jesus, I'm supposed to cut those relationships off. And it's hard for us in a 2020 worldview to understand exactly what it is that Jesus was getting at. And I don't want to give you that nugget to go home with, that Jesus is in that business of separating you from your relationships, especially on Father's Day. I chose this passage because I knew I wanted to hit it on this day. Because we consider Father's Day, we have this like love affair with these moments in our culture. Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever have you. And we want to celebrate the moment. And some of you are going to go have barbecue today. You're going to go have pizza. You're going to go do something. You might remember a dad or a father figure in your life. You might go to get to be with them. But this warm and fuzzy passage, and I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, is hard to deal with on a day like today. What are we supposed to do when Jesus is calling us out? Not just 2,000 years ago, but he's also calling us out. How are we supposed to recognize what he is saying so that we can continue to live in this world that he has placed us in. And let me be clear. Jesus is not in the business of separating us from our relationships. But he is interested in separating us from a value system that may differ from the one that he has put in place. Now, if we were to drop in to a culture 2,000 years ago, we would understand that things looked different back then. That sometimes the choice to follow Jesus meant you had to leave your family. And there are still stories of that today. There are parts of our world that when a missionary goes and shares the good news of Jesus, and perhaps there are cultures and people groups that come to faith in Christ, but it means choosing Jesus over their family, and that automatically becomes a divide. And you're like, well, is God in favor of that? No, no, God is in favor of his kingdom being known. For all get out. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll wager that statement all day long. But Jesus is also interested in conveying to his disciples that he is not for what we would term in our culture family values. Jesus does not care about family values. Jesus cares about kingdom values. And that has to be the lens that we hold up that we view everything through. Jesus is not out to send 
the cute card on Father's Day, although you should probably get a card for your dads if you're going to see them. But he is out to say, are you willing to follow me and are, we, are you willing to draw that line in the sand and trust me with everything? Even if it means differing in opinion from previous generations. And how I have come and reconciled this passage this week is because we live in a land right now that is trying to reconcile previous generations in the ways that we have seen things. And I don't want to just hold up previous generations' values and say, oh, what was good back then, whatever decade we think it was good. For me, I don't want to live there. I want to live here and now for where this kingdom is expanding. And God is constantly calling me to say, do you see this through the kingdom or do you just see it through how you were raised? And that is more challenging to you and to me. Not to say that you're supposed to hate your parents, especially kids in the room. Don't do that. Like, don't get out of here. And I'm looking at my son right now. Don't do this, all right? So when you get out of this place, you don't just get to be mad at your parents and go, Jesus said I'm supposed to. That's not it. Jesus is saying it's the kingdom that matters most. And so for you and I to have a discourse, if we were to sit down over coffee or a meal, well, what are the values of the kingdom? They perhaps might differ from the ways that we were raised, right? There might be, there might be aspects of the kingdom that look different than the stories or the values and the value systems that we have been given from the past. And Jesus is saying, I want you to take the kingdom wherever you go and make that value system the most important. So on this Father's Day, for the dads in the house, for the dads online that are watching, happy Father's Day. But let us make this day about seeing God's kingdom values more than anything else. Because that will change the world that you and I live in. I, I guarantee every single one of us here and watching online, you have had a story this past week where you have seen things that are not kingdom values. You have seen people be cheated. You have seen people abuse. You have heard stories where that is not what Jesus came to do. And what I'm saying as we look at this passage and we allow our lives to go through it is to consider that when Jesus talks to his disciples, he's encouraging them. Don't just think about how you were raised. Think about this kingdom that is spreading and advancing. It will change everything. And that, on a day like today, is good news because I want the kingdom to win every day. It doesn't always seem like but because you and I are in this world, we get to make the kingdom known. And that's good news. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, you are constantly in the business of challenging us. We don't want to just have quick, cute thoughts when it comes to you. As if we get to check you off our box for this week and we got you done. But God, we want our lives to be transformed. There's parts of your scripture that are that are really tough to deal with at times. They peer deep into our soul and they, they cause us to wonder and to question who are we aligned with and where is our allegiance? But may we be the kinds of people throughout this day and this week where we make your kingdom known, where we allow you to reign, where we allow you to win. And when you win, we win. Because you won't allow things to happen in secret that don't get exposed. If you care about sparrows, you care about us. And that gives us hope for today.
and gives us hope for tomorrow and all the tomorrows that follow. So on this day, God, don't bless us because we have done something that's deserving of that blessing. But God, would you bless us yet again so that when we go out into your world, we get to be your blessing. We get to be your hands and feet and we get to see your kingdom come. God, we love you and we need you yet again. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.